Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Jazz Hammond B3 player Adrienne Fenimore. Originally from New Zealand and now living in New York City, she just released a very nice 2016 album called Blues Jam, and Mo Puddin was done prior to this, and they're both great albums. The trombone was her native instrument while she was growing up, but she taught herself how to play the Hammond B3, copying the recordings of Jimmy Smith, Joey DeFrancesco, Groove Holmes, and the great Jack McDuff. Since that time, she has become a big name in the jazz world, and for good reason. So please, get to know her and dig this interview, my friends. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Good. Hey, thank you for taking a little time out for me today. I appreciate it. No problem. I, I love your music. I'm just going to start off right off the top. I have been a, a huge fan since the word goes, so it's an honor oh, to good. speak with you. Um, <laughs> thank you. I know that you have your new album, but let me get an idea before we get into that album. Talk to me a little bit about activity and what's going on in your world these days. Basically, I just perform around uh, New York, and I, I do a little bit of teaching, but um, I'm about to go to New Zealand and um, do a tour over there for uh, my Mo Puddin album that I just released. Which leads me to, uh, you're very busy with that album and with the newest album. Talk to me a little about both of these albums. Uh, how do you feel about it in the afterglow, and, and what went into these albums for you? I wanted to do uh, two different albums. I really wanted to do an instrumental album that is all just just the organ trio thing, like Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. I wanted to do a throwback organ album without any uh, vocals because all my albums before that had had vocals on them. And then I, ne I nearly didn't record Blues Jam because I recorded that the day after I did the Mo Puddin album and I uh, wasn't, I was, I was kind of, you know, a little overwhelmed with uh, recording with Peter Bernstein and Willie Jones III. So, but I ended up doing that the next day with a different band. So they were both actually recorded one day apart. That had to be a pretty cool experience to record with Peter. Oh yeah, it was it was great and he was really really great to work with. I I've, I've seen him play around a lot, but that was the uh the first time I've actually uh, really played with him. So so it was great that it worked out so well. You know, jazz is a conversation at the end of the day, whether it's a recording or it's on stage and as a audience member or a fan that listens to it. It sounds like the conversation's pretty, pretty fluid and pretty happy with these albums. Is that safe to say? Oh yeah, definitely. These albums are, are basically made of um, interaction. That's the whole the whole point of these albums. Like that's really to me what makes them is the interaction either between Marvin and myself on Blues Jam or Peter and myself and the drummer as well. You know, responding. It's just all, you know, that's the great thing about working as a trio is that you can, you can really uh, interact very easily. There's only two other people to think about. That's why I love performing in trios. So let's depart 2016 and head back in time a little bit. How does a girl from New Zealand grow up to become a Hammond B3 organist in the jazz world, recording and touring New York? How did that happen? Yeah, uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, my ex-husband is a, a great guitar player actually when I met him I was a trombone player and I and I wasn't that great on trombone I couldn't learn to improvise on trombone and I uh, nearly gave up music actually and then I met him and he listened to a lot of Wes Montgomery and Jimmy Smith and I love that sound and my dad actually 
as an organ player. So I grew up with the organ in the house. So I just figured, oh, I could learn how to do that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> but then it got to a point where I hadn't actually seen anyone play live. So I went and I took some lessons from Tony Monaco in Ohio for about a week. And then uh, I went back to New Zealand and I said, I need to be in America. <laughs> so that's when I actually I moved to Columbus, Ohio and was there for a year. And then I moved to New York after that. So that's where I am now. You know, New Zealand is such a beautiful place. Do you miss it? Um, I do miss it, but it's really hard to go back after you've lived in New York. You get used to being able to see music every night and just the energy of the city. So when you go back to New Zealand, everything seems very slow. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. So you've mentioned Jimmy Smith and some other musicians that you really dug, but was there a specific album when you really got into jazz that kind of made you go, wow, that's amazing? Yeah, the... Well, I studied a lot of the Groove Holmes album, After Hours, a a lot of his bass lines. I love Groove Holmes bass lines, so I just, I transcribed a whole lot of his bass lines, and that album, at the time, I loved it, but when I listen back to it now, I'm like, the rhythm section as a whole, you know, is kind of clunky and stuff, but he, he stands out to me, his improvising lines and his bass lines, he was just, for me, the king of that, so... That was my favorite album for a few years. Right on. Yeah, he's great. Was it always music for you growing up? I mean, when you really kind of got into jazz, was that your life? Did you see it? Or did you have other dreams of how things would turn out? I never actually thought I would end up in New York. That kind of just happened. I, it wasn't until I was about 13, 14 that I really got into jazz. And then I decided to go to university, and university wasn't a great experience for me, so I'm kind of surprised that I um, kept going afterwards. But all, all through university, I was playing in a band, and you know, I was making a living, and a, a nice living in New Zealand, actually. So, you know, it was kind of crazy to pick up and start again in New York. You, for your career, it's great, and pushing you as a musician, it's great, but financially, New York is is a tough one. So. But it, it, it's, it's worth it. But it's just a bit more of a struggle. If I'd stayed in New Zealand, you know, you can relax a little more. Yeah, sure. So that Hammond B3 you got back in 2003, do you still have it? Um, No, I don't. I actually, that was a C3, and I actually sold that because that was in New Zealand. I still have my A100, though, which I modified. So I still have that. Um, I, I bought that over, I flew that over from New Zealand. Um, okay. So that's with me now, and I I did have a B3 for a while, but I I sold that. Living in New York, there's no room for all these instruments. <laughs> so I I still got my A100 and a 122, which which is enough for me. So you come from a country that has no Hammond, not I not any real notable Hammond B3 players. You teach yourself how to play the instrument while you started out on the trombone. How did that happen? How did you get so motivated? that this was going to be your instrument and you've succeeded so much at it? I don't really know. I mean, I've always, uh, my dad is a a music teacher and my parents owned a music shop. So I started from like about four playing piano and playing keyboards. And, you know, I tried the violin for a bit and I've I've done it all. So, you know, I'd always played the keys, but I'd never, never played jazz. But I'd always loved jazz piano. Um, 
So when the organ came around, I don't know, it just happened very naturally, the whole process of playing the organ and the coordination for the organ. And and I just loved, I loved the records. I loved Groove Holmes, Jack McDowell, Jimmy Smith, Joey, um, all of them. So that's, I guess, what kept me going. What jazz pianist do you really dig a lot? I love Oscar Peterson. He's he's my 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 favorite. I love Bill Evans as well. Um, yeah, old old school sort of guys. But Oscar Peterson, I could just listen to every day. I just love his playing. Makes me very happy. The swing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've you've traveled a lot, and you went on kind of American learning tours in the Midwest. With as you said, in Ohio, you went through Detroit and uh, Columbus. Talk to me a little bit about what traveling around the United States has done for you as a musician. How does it enhance you? It's just always great to play for new audiences, hear the response, and real, you know, realize that. Uh, one thing I love in particular about American audiences is that they're very educated. So you can go and play in a random venue or an outdoor concert and someone will come up and be like, oh, you remind me of Jimmy Smith or you remind me of this person. And then people really know their jazz whereas in New Zealand the audiences you know they they like it but they don't necessarily know the history as much whereas here you know it is it's it's American history so you're playing to very educated audiences which I love and also too a lot of times when you tour and um, I play with pickup musicians so pick up drum like the house drummer of of whatever club I'm playing with and that's a great you know, a feeling to be able to, you know, not have had a rehearsal and do a gig and make some music, you know, that that really makes you up your game personally because you've got you've to be so strong to, to lead everyone else. You arrive in New York and obviously New York is the cradle of jazz around the world. When you first started playing live in New York, was that just an amazing feeling? Oh, yeah. And, and actually, that's the funny thing for me was, I I kind of uh, moved to New York for my uh, ex-husband, Josh, because he's a fantastic guitarist. And for him to get gigs, and the funny thing was, I was the one that ended up getting a lot of work because people in New York use a lot of organ players because it cuts down a, a member of the band. You know, suddenly you can get a really big sound as a trio. So I, I started working about a week after I arrived here and I started getting gigs and I wasn't quite prepared. It was a big learning curve for me. It pushed me for a lot of different styles as well because a lot of people wanted to play funk and I hadn't really gone down that genre at all. So it was a big learning curve, but it's been great. It always is. Every time you're on the bandstand, there's always something you realize you need to work on. Absolutely. You know, the one thing that's interesting about your releases is you've released CDs through HMV in Japan, EQ Music in Singapore, Ode Records in New Zealand. How is how is that voted for you to release these albums and go through distribution in different countries? Well, the the two that came from uh, Asia, they actually found me. Uh, so I had released the albums independently, and then they found me and re-released the albums on their labels, which was really nice. Um, and then it's harder now because there's just not a lot of, you know, uh, money in the industry anymore. So people aren't willing, as willing to put you on their labels. So with these two last albums, I didn't really try. I just thought I'm just going to self-produce them and see what happens. So um, 
I, I don't know that side of the industry that that well. <laughs> I just yeah. I just I just you know produce stuff, finish it, and then put it out to the world and see what happens. <laughs> That's probably good. Stick to the music <laughs> side. I'm sure that other side's not yeah. very savory. Um, so what have you learned from being around big shot musicians like Tony Monaco, Sherry Miracle, um, Bruce Foreman? What do you learn about performing and being on stage with people like that? Um, I think it's just the an intensity they have and the, the purpose behind the specific notes they play and uh, the direction they have they really command um, leadership on the stage so you, you can't help but uh, it's very hard to go wrong when you're playing with such great players or around such great players because they're such strong musically influenced even uh, playing with someone like Marvin Horn you know he has such great comping and such great chords that, that it just it makes it really easy, but it also makes you realize that, you know, when you play and when you play without those musicians, that's the kind of strength that you need when you play. So let me ask you about teachers. You've obviously learned a lot about playing. Are there any, is there any advice that you got from a teacher that really still sticks with you on a regular basis, whether you, before you get on stage or go in the recording studio that you remember well? Not so much. Honestly, I haven't had, like, I had, a little bit of tuition from Tony and but really I've done it all myself so I just there's nothing really that sticks out to me it's really what I've just learned from doing a lot of gigs yeah. <laughs> and you know trying and trying to always put on a great show like no matter where you're playing if it's a concert or if if it's a, a small bar and there's no one in the room, like or one person in the room, still giving that 100% show, whether anyone is listening or not. And I, th I think to to me, like even when you practice at home and no one's listening, you should still be trying to make music all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned a lot of people that have swayed you a lot of what I would consider your jazz heroes. But if you could go back in time. And there's been a lot of people that have played the Hammond B3 that have been amazing live. If you could go back in time and see somebody play live, who would you go see and where would you go? Oh, I never thought about that. I definitely love to see Groove Home. And I know he used to play uh, the Chitlin Circuit in the uh, Midwest. There's a, a place I used to play in Dayton called Jazz Central and and he used to play there and that was one of the things I loved about touring the Midwest and stuff. You'd turn into it, you go into a club and then the club owner would be like, oh yeah, Groove used to play here or his car broke down and I I gave him some money to go yeah. home and so you hear all these stories it's like you're connecting with history. That's cool. That's very cool. For someone that's obviously loved jazz and you've dedicated your professional life to it, why do you love jazz? I guess I I love the way it makes me feel. And I also love being able to make other people feel the same way. Uh, you know, be able to play a song and make someone feel happy or um, make someone cry. Um, you know, music is very powerful in that sense. And, um, yeah, and jazz especially, just the the way you get to connect with other musicians and the sp spontaneity of that is in particular why I like jazz. So speaking of the power of jazz, what's one of the nicest things that a fan has ever said to you about your music? A lot of times it, it'll be that it, it, you play a particular song and it brings them back to an event in their life or, you know, when 
especially uh, I had a woman come up to me once and she was like, oh, that, that was a song that me and my husband used to dance to. And if, and if he's passed away, you, you know, and you can see the emotion come up into their eyes, you know, it's just a, it's a, an amazing thing to, to be able to touch someone like that. Yeah, without a doubt. So what is next for you? You've, uh, you know, you, you got a lot left in you. What 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 is next for, let's say we speak in 10 years. What are you going to want to tell me has happened? I would love to uh, tour Europe. I, I haven't really done anything in Europe or the UK or Asia for that matter. So I'd love to start touring overseas in that sense. And I think I'd like to do some more original albums like vocals, um, more some record of original vocal album and also maybe do um, an album with um, horns you know a horn section I don't know I I, things change so much you you know you just go along and then something will hit you and then I follow follow the path where it takes me (laughs) right on so everyone has their version of who you are your family your friends those you play for business associates but when you wake up in the morning who do you think you are what what is it that you feel like you're putting out into the world I don't know. I, I feel like I'm pretty plain. <laughs> I uh, I just um, I love to play music, and so that you know that's one of my my priorities. That I you know always do a little bit of practice in there, and yeah, I just I'm just a music lover, I guess. <laughs> Beautiful, Adrian. That's a great way for us to wrap everything up. Thank you for taking some time out for me today. I appreciate it. I really do. You you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York City, Kansas City, New Zealand, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Adrienne for her time, her honesty, and all those great stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.